You're listening to the Beat Motel Zine podcast, and we need to warn you that we use words like shit, bollocks, scrotics, fuck, anarcho-syndicalist, and cunt, and we don't normally beat those words out, apart from the word cunt, because we're not total animals. Now, we know as well as you that your children can hear these words on any street in Britain, possibly any street anywhere in the world, but we also appreciate that you may not want to invite these words into your home if you have children or sensitive pets nearby whilst listening to this podcast. So listener discretion is advised. That being said, if your children aren't allergic to hearing words like fuck, shit, buttocks, or hind penis, they might learn something from listening to this podcast, although probably not because the quality of our educational content is quite poor. So there you go, fuckers, buckle in, and let's get started. Hey, Beat Motel listeners, cool kids. You're with Andrew today. Sam is in Italy doing, I don't know what the fuck he's doing there. But I am here with an honoured guest, my friend, my friend Stuart Bowditch. Would you like to say hello, Stuart? Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm very well. I'm really pleased that we've kind of finally managed to get this together. We've been trying to book this, and the last time we were supposed to do the recording, they were doing roadworks outside my studio, and really cool. all, all kinds of crazy shit going on. Although I did think afterwards that the roadworks in the background wouldn't have been massively off-brand for one one of the uh, interesting creative things you do with your life. No, I tend to just kind of, um, well, yeah, I do a lot of field recording and work in locations, you know, wherever that may be. And I tend to just have an open mind and let what, you know, whatever happens there is what what, what my experience is. So that's what it is. And, like, I, I try not to be too prescriptive about it. But, you know, if I'm going to record something quiet and there is, like, uh, a kangai going off, it probably would be a bit frustrating, yeah. So I, I know you initially through, um, well, through your music and from playing noise events or, or all kinds of interesting events with you. And then I discovered that you had this whole kind of other other life outside of live music that I, I hadn't previously heard anything about. And I think I only discovered this this other artistic output that you have when you happened to accidentally drop into the conversation that you'd been recording in China. So there's, there's lots of interesting things. I'm, I just let you know, listener, there's, um, there's a podcast that Stuart does, and I'll put, I'll put a link in the show notes. And I've, I know I've mentioned Stuart's podcast before, but what? Just I don't even know where to start, if I'm honest. I know I'm not being a very professional host, but <laughs> what, what, how did the sound recordings thing come about? Um, just in general? <laughs> yeah, well, I, just, I did start off as a musician, as a drummer, you know, when I was a teenager. And I was in like a metal band for ages in the early 90s, then a couple of punk bands. And um, then I got a computer, I think in like 99, and um, started making beats or whatever. But I got quite bored with like the onboard sound. So my friend lent me like a um, a mini disc recorder and a really small microphone. And I, I started going out recording stuff and then chopping it up and making it into beats. So, like, noises in the shower, South, South End Pier train or whatever. And then it just grew from there. So, like, I just kind of got more interested in sounds that are attached to places. So then I'd go to a place to record the sounds. Then I'd go and record someone doing something or some sounds for someone and then you know, it just kind of grew into recording all different kinds of sounds for lots of different reasons. So, Well, I've really enjoyed hearing more of them come out on your podcast. When you first started the podcast, it really doesn't feel like it was that long ago. In fact, I think it was only what, 
three, four months ago. And it's grown so fast. You've got so, you must have a huge archive of things. Yeah, well, I've been recording, you know, like for a long time since the early 2000s. So some of the early ones are probably, you know, schoolboy era, I got loads of wind on them or, you know, my coat rustling or something. I tend to, you know, be very aware of that now and just wear clothes and shoes. Quiet, <laughs> <out> <laughs> naked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not that brave, but um, especially in the <laughs> I suppose if you've got a big fluffy microphone, you might, you know, afford yourself a bit of privacy. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, um, yeah, I just got really into and And actually, like, after quite a long time, I realised that the actual, the sound wasn't, the recording of the sound actually wasn't that important. What was more important to me was just to actually be somewhere. And the the sitting down listening and recording, well, the sitting down recording meant that I actually stopped and listened and just, you know, took stock of where I was and just to try and rest, you know, all our lives are really busy, aren't they? We're rushing around Mm. all over the place to create, you know, you can't fit it all in. So for me, field recording is more about going somewhere than just, being still, you know, and just taking stock of where you are and what's happening in the world, what's happening in your life. Um, so it, it just affords you a bit of thinking time as well. So, um, but then obviously you you accumulate a lot of recordings from wherever you've been, you know. So the podcast came about because I just wanted to share some of those. So some of some of the things that I've you know done recently, but other things like where I put out a recording the other day from Jerusalem and obviously that's very topical at the moment so I just wanted to put that out there you know as a kind of not a comment on what's happening but you know there are there are other sides to what's happening in the world in you know in other places it's fascinating and i hadn't really thought about the the magical it's it's kind of almost a mindfulness exercise of just stopping and just really paying attention to what's around you and because we're both musicians our our, our emotional connection to sound is deep i mean it is for everyone i mean it, it's a hell of a thing and i I've, I've really enjoyed i was quite surprised actually with when i first started listening to your podcast at the emotional response I had to some of the tracks some of them <laughs> I know I've already told you this and I've probably told you several times at gigs so I apologize if I'm going to say it again but I was my one of my walks to the to the office to work is through Kipperswick Park which is quite a big un undeveloped park in Ipswich there's nothing in there you know it's just a massive empty space and the podcast episode of I think it was Oxford Street in London during heavy traffic came on and I couldn't listen to it it was like it was just really confusing. It was making me really, really on edge, but it was also just so far removed from the situation. But conversely, I've been on walks uh, through through busy traffic, and I was listening to the, the recording you made at the Vatican, and that was the opposite situation. My actual environment while I was walking was you know, cars and pollution and noise and people shouting, but the recording I was listening to was an incredibly peaceful, focused part of something else from many, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away. 
there wasn't really yeah. a question there was there <laughs> <laughs> um no i'm really pleased you know that you've listened to and i hope other people do as well you know and uh, when you look at the stats you know sometimes can be a bit disappointed but the one from jerusalem's like had 260 plays in a couple of days so that's i think that's pretty good you know for uh yeah. compared to the previous recordings um I'm not, I haven't actually been to the Vatican, so I don't know what one you mean. But there oh, were there's, there's quite a few religious kind of places, you know, like different cathedrals. And um, I mean, when I went to Palestine and Israel a few years ago, we visited a lot of holy places. You know, I'm not a religious person myself, but it was fascinating to be in there and feel the energy of those places and listen to the sounds. And, um, you know, it was, it was very moving. and quite emotional you know um and I, i'm quite interested in people's like you know people who have a belief in that kind of thing this helps me kind of understand it because i don't have that myself so it's one way of kind of i suppose it's like you know if you go to a gig and you see some bands you don't know and you just you spend the time there listening to their sound being with them in the space feeling their energy it's the same if you go to a church and listen to a choir singing or you know if you go you know to a street in the city and listen to a street vendor or something you know in a market or something like that i think it was saint saint jan's cathedral in den Bosch in holland netherlands that i might be thinking of yeah that's quite so, recent yeah yeah, yeah that's it's, it's I think you were saying i really like the write-ups now i've been doing podcasts for for years and it's a real challenge keeping fresh with the write-ups on podcast episodes because you end up just going over the same the same ground. I think mean, God knows we do on this podcast, but the write-ups for your episodes they they do add quite a lot. I think a very very nice way with words, Stuart. Uh, well, thanks. Yeah, I'm not. I don't feel that I'm a, a writer. You know, they're just like I feel like um, you know co- context does add a lot mm. and. Um, no, I, like, I like, used to make a lot of, well, I still do make music using a lot of samples. And sometimes they can be very obscure and people don't really know what the provenance of them is, you know, where they come from or what I'm doing to them. And it's, um, but I did a talk actually quite a few years ago. And I don't know if you know of a band called ISAN. Um, they've, um, they were on Warp for a little bit and they're on more records. They've had, you know, quite, they've been around since the 90s. And Robin, one half of ISAN, was at this talk and, and he said to me, he said, um, well, you've said that you've made this and it come from there, but, you know, it doesn't, I, I can't really understand that, you know. And, um, and so he said, if you had said a little bit more about it, maybe people could latch onto it and there'll be a way into it for them because it's quite sort of abstract. If you have a little in, then people might connect with it more. So, in my live performances, then I started to introduce each song, say, oh, this is this is all made from the recording of a 21-year-old deaf cat or a Knox balloon that I found at a festival or whatever, you know. Um, and actually that helped to engage the audience a lot more. They stopped at the beginning, listened, and sometimes have a laugh or whatever. But, you know, that, that sort of level of context really um, helped connect with people, yeah. 
And when you perform live, uh, say we've been on the same bill a bunch of times, and I'm always, <laughs> I'm gonna, it's gonna make light of it a little bit, but I'm always impressed that you manage to know which buttons to press when it's pitch dark because you you insist on the lights being off generally. Well, certainly um, the last few times I've seen you. Yeah, well, that gig at Cuckoo Farm was too dark. I literally couldn't see anything. And it was... <laughs> there was no windows, was there? It was. I didn't do myself any favours. Um, but oh, um... you've ruined the illusion now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, like, I've got a bit of a kind of weird um, relationship to the visuals. You know, like because you know the podcasts, they're all just sound, aren't they? And sometimes I have a one picture that gives you know uh, an insight into where I where I am but I want I want the sound to make the picture in the person's head and that's the same with the music you know um and by having some fancy visuals you know to me that just distracts from the sound and I I just want the sound to have as much impact as possible so like that's why I tend to not have any visuals or you know have very sort of limited lighting I find that really interesting. There's, I was speaking to, um, who's the guy that does weaponize? Al, Al Johnson. Al, that's it, Al Johnson. Speaking to him, um, actually, on the Cuckoo Farm episode of this very podcast. So, you know, listeners, if you want to go back, I think it was like episode two, the Cuckoo Farm gig. And he said something that stuck with me ever since. He, he was intimating that the audience at, a gig, especially electronic gigs, gets too caught up in the mechanics and the how is something happening mm. rather than kind of listening to what is happening. And I think, yeah, I can see that stripping away visuals um, adds to that as well. I mean, I, I use them sometimes because when it comes down to it, I look like a middle-aged man stood behind a desk doing his emails. What well, If I use a computer, I do. But... Uh, it's quite. I'd I'd find it quite scary just making it just about about the music. So I think I salute you for that. But yeah, your your commitment, your sonic commitment. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm not. I'm not a very good performer. Do you know what I mean? Like I can't sort of project myself. Um, so I feel like I kind of hide behind the darkness and a few gadgets and pedals or whatever and um, let the let the music do the talking you know so cool have you got you you playing much at the moment uh, i've got a gig on thursday uh, in a couple of days uh, at roots and grooves this will this go out before then might do i was going to say i'm, I'm going to have to do the right. time travel thing because we're recording this on 16th of october but this episode won't be out till next monday so sorry time travelers You'll, you'll I have to just play the gig at Roots and Grooves Cafe. How did it go? Um, how, how did it go? Uh, yeah, it's fantastic, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you missed a treat. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a strange thing, sort of being in. I don't think we're really. I'm always troubled by calling any music thing a music scene, but like the circles we move in, which we all do our best to to make very open and welcoming. There's not that many of us, <laughs> so it does, does tend to be kind of seeing the, the same friendly faces at, at different gigs have you have you kind of branched i don't know how to put this without sounding like i'm being a knob but have you outside of when you're in a band how how where have you played because i've only really done electronica in south of england but i stumbled across something that you did that i think got some arts council funding that you did somewhere in wales or bristol possibly 
Um, no, I haven't played it in those places. <laughs> yeah. I'm really not hit, hit batting a thousand as the Americans would say. You did. It was uh, a performance that you did with somebody else. Yeah, and it wasn't in East Anglia. Belfast could well have been Belfast. So I, I wasn't quite right, but no, no, further away, the right direction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just go go past it and then go up a bit. We did actually go to Wales to get to Belfast, so we'll, we'll take that as a oh, cool thread. So but, the- uh, yeah, well, I mean, like I stopped playing in bands in like 2007, and I'm from the South End, and so I played in those bands in the South End scenes, like the metal scene and the punk scene, mm-hmm. which are really good at the time. And we made lots of connections with other bands and then, you know, you'd put them on and they'd put you on and you'd stay with them and they'd stay with you and, you know, drink lots of beer or whatever and play at some crazy parties and houses with people, you know, falling all over the place. And into oh, I remember it well, yeah. Right, you know, like, um, but I was the only person who had a van, so I had to be straight most of the time, so that wasn't so good. But, um, yeah, same, same here. I was always the sucker who drove. But um, so going out on your own is, you know, I think it takes a bit of courage to do that. And I think at the moment there's, there is a good scene. I would call it a scene. And like, especially the EMOMs, you know, they're very encouraging the electronic music open mic gigs, which is kind of like a franchise, isn't it? You know, um, anyone. I didn't realise that. I, I just used the name when I put the gigs on. Put one on to stick to roughly the same sort of format, and anyone can come along and play whatever they like as long as it's not an acoustic guitar and play something, you know. And people have played their first gigs, they've just tried out new ideas, they're just like, you know, seasoned, you know, people are used to playing, just play to a new audience, and everyone's really supportive. And I I think it's really great, you know, to to give people an encouragement, a platform to do that. and and I think, you know, when we speak to someone from outside, you know, we're from East Anglia and there's, there is actually a really good scene in East Anglia. And like when you when you speak to someone from outside um, East Anglia, you realise that actually there's not quite the same level of activity and actually it is a scene and we are all part of that. Okay. And so you do, you do get to meet, you know, like-minded people and make some friends and have a laugh and support each other playing playing your music and, you know, everyone, you know, just chips in, you know, and off the back of that you have all the sort of social media chat groups where everyone's supporting each other, not only through music but also in other aspects of their life, you know, especially through COVID. So I think that's all been really strong and really positive and I think it's really, it's really important, you know, to be a part of that it's really hard to do strike out on your own you know and just (laughs) you know if you've got a network around you supporting you or at least encouraging you you know to to get going I think you know that's great I'd never drawn the parallel between what it was like because you know I played in bands and we'd we'd, you play we'd go play Swindon and sleep on someone's floor and then a month later the band from Swindon would come play at Ipswich and they'd sleep on our floor. And it was this whole massive network. But it, in my experience, that is it kind of dried up a bit when, well, people stopped playing in bands. I mean, you and I have never actually stopped performing, but it, it, it got difficult. And, yeah, and I can see now that the, the noise scene 
that we have is very supportive, but the support goes far beyond remembering to clap when you see people play. We've, we've had some, in our little group, we've had some fairly dramatic events for people going through some quite challenging things in their lives. And the group's been there for people and, and you know, offline as well. You know, people actually yeah. kind of going out and, and supporting each other emotionally, nothing to do with music at all. And I think that that's what made the punk scene so great for me when i was younger and it's what makes this scene so great now Mm. kind of genuinely there for each other i think there are a lot of parallels with you know the punk scene and the noise scene at the moment because people are angry and fucked off with what's going on in the world and they you know like they need an, an an outlet for that and to have a creative outlet is perfect because like you can vent your frustration and anger but you can also make friends. You can have a good time and a good experience. You're turning it around. Do you know what I mean? You're not like going into the street and being angry at random people. You're like turning it around and make putting it into a community of people that understand you and want to support you. And, you know, they share the same concerns. And I think that's what happened in the 70s. You know, that's why people, the punk scene exploded because they were just fed up with everything and it's the same now you know so there are parallels there and i think it's really important that you know the people if they you know if they feel like they they need something they can they can just jump in do you know what i mean welcome come, come along I, you know i mean I've, jay um so my friend jay puts on um gigs in Barry St. edmunds in suffolk and i put on gigs in ipswich and you say you're, you're from south end but jay and I have always had this very strong anti clique thing that if you want to play, we don't even know when, <laughs> we don't even want to know what you sound like. There's a guy who who I put on an Ipswich last year called Matt Rose, and I'd never met him before. And he came to one of the EMOM gigs at, at the Steamboat in Ipswich, and he said, "Do you mind if I play at one of your gigs?" And I said, "Well, we've got no more EMOMs, but I've got a gig coming up." So come play that. And he's like, John, you know, where can I send my demo? And I was like, you don't need to send a demo. He's like, well, do you want me to explain what I do? And I was like, the only thing I really need to know is how many DIs do you need? And if you don't know what a DI is, because I'm very particular about not, you know, trying not to use sort of tech speak, as it were, just tell us what you're doing and we'll help you get it sorted out. And he turned up with a full size, did you see him? He turned up with a full size keyboard. And he was this incredible pianist, just like a complete surprise. And like, and you never know what you're going to get. And it's still one of the most exciting things about about noise gigs is that you know the only bar to entry really is getting there, just turning yeah. up. You haven't got to well, be a certain level of quality or anything. Well, that's how I got to to meet all you guys. It's like I saw Jay's flyer for Experimental. And it was like a Xerox, black and white, bit smudgy kind of thing. Oh, I was like, yeah. well, that's cool. Like, I'll, I'll go along. So I went along, got like a four-pack of tins from the supermarket and had my tape in my pocket. And I went, oh, hi, um, I'm here for the gig. And um, I've got you a tape. Are you the promoter? I gave him the tape and said, oh, I'm looking for some gigs. He went, yeah, we'll put you on. Just come down <laughs> next time. <laughs> you know. And then, and then when I... Um, you know, played a few gigs for him, and obviously now, you know, he's a good friend of mine, as as all most of the people there. You know, like um, he doesn't even remember having that tape. Do you know what I mean? So like, I had to give it him, to him again. So I think he probably didn't even. <laughs> I, I I don't 
I just sort of assumed that you'd known Jay and the guys for years and years because I I came to it. I say it's probably fairly late. It was probably like seven or eight years ago now. But I I was getting frustrated with not being able to gig as much as I wanted to because my band is had loads of people in it and we're all we're all parents. No, I just I just thought you'd been around for a while. I'm not saying you're like a part of the furniture. You're just a <laughs> a, a nice <laughs> nice part of the machine, I guess. Well, it was. I did move out of Southend, and I lived there, you know, since uh, I was like 19. So I lived in London for a bit, went back to Southend, but I was just done with it. So I moved, I moved out and ended up in Sudbury, and there was nothing in Sudbury. You know, it was like pub rock and acoustic, and it doesn't interest me at all. So it took a few years, but eventually then I found that flyer and then went to Bury, and then met a whole host of people, including yourself and... And now all the people in East Anglia, you know, it stretches to Norwich and Ipswich and Cambridge sometimes and, you know, all over. And I think it's it's just, I was patient, but it, you know, kept my eyes open. I'm always looking at stickers on lampposts or fly posts, oh, yeah. and, you know, flyers. So oh, I'll send you some of these. We've got loads of Beat Motel stickers now. I'll put some oh, in the post. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, I think you just things are out there. You just need to, uh, if you want to find them, you will find them. I was having a conversation with someone, uh, well, a group of people a few days ago. We started a project called Love Ipswich, which is sort of to try and counter the <laughs> the sort of malaise and the sort of the grumpy negativeness people have about well anywhere, to be honest. And we would we've decided as a group that we're not going to do any of it online. There will be a website and there will be a point of contact and whatever, but we've we sort of as a group, we've all agreed that things being very much offline is actually now probably making a more meaningful connection with people. We've kind of you and I are roughly the same age, so we remember what the world was like before the internet. I'm, mm. I'm sorry if I tie you with the same brush as me there. But... I know we are about the same age, yeah. But for gigs, for example, for a while people would just list their gig on Facebook and that'd be all the promotion they did. Whereas I I still go out and hand out flyers, and you mm. you mentioned a couple of times the flyer of Jay's. I think I think that's really crucial. I think going out to a gig and just having a flyer, put it in someone's hand. Say, oh, if you like this sort of band, you might you might like the gig that we're doing. And then people wake up the next morning with a hangover and go, "What is this piece of paper?" <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why I need to sort of flesh out the whole scenario. Like, and they 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 wear a hat and they drive a car <laughs> and. <laughs> no, I think it's really important. Like flyering actually changed my life beyond recognition because I um I was flying for a gig I was doing in two thousand and five in South End. I was walking down South End High Street, you know, there's not many people in that high street are gonna be interested in an ambient gig. That's what I was doing at the time. It was like some poetry on as well. It's like a kind of mixed kind of thing. And um I was just walking along and this woman walked past the other way and I, I was like, are you flyering? She went, are you flyering? So we're like, yeah. <laughs> so it's like wow. we just exchanged flyers and um, my flyer was for the gig, which was like in a couple of weeks or something, and her flyer was from a group of artists that had moved to South End, and they were doing a project. So um, I was like, oh, that's cool. And they just had like this industrial unit, which was opposite Maple Rehearsal Studios. And um, yeah, just tucked around the back. And um, so I went down there and I met all these really amazing artists and I got maybe done them for like the third time. 
And they said, oh, you don't want to go back to doing that, do you? We'll try and get you some workshops and stuff. So I ended up doing like DJ workshops with all the kids that had been excluded from school in South End. And, um, wow, I didn't, didn't know you'd done that. After they put the door back on the classroom, you know, like they've been kicked off. But, um, and like a few of them like got into the, you know, the controls of the mixer and, um, and started to actually like get into it. I mean, one of the kids threw a desk at the ta- at the window and like said, "Your music shit, sir." But you know, that's only because, sir. <laughs> yeah. So like, <laughs> you know, he had this like block that he just couldn't get it within two minutes, and then expressed that with anger. You know, I mean, he was taller than me, and he was like fourteen. But um, those of you like, oh. but um, yeah, there were a few kids that really got into it, and um. And from then, that's how I kind of really got into all the art stuff and how the sound kind of crept into that, went in that direction. And then I started sort of making installations and doing sound for other people and soundtracks for short films and, um, you know, digitizing old formats for people and all that kind of stuff. So, like, if I hadn't given out that fly, I wouldn't have met those people. And then I wouldn't have got gone off on this crazy trajectory, which is kind of now... I still make music and play music, but I've also got this other, like you said earlier, this other side to everything. It's all interconnected. I think if you're a creative, which you know we both are, then if it wasn't music, it would be sewing. If it wasn't sewing, it would be who knows. You know, I think it, it gets it's something that has to come out of creative people. I'm part of a. It started off as a networking group. It's called the Creative Collective, and it's based down. It's based in Sittingbourne in Kent, so nowhere near where where I live. <laughs> but I know a bunch of the people who are in it through through bands that they're in. And what it's become is this. I'll send you a link to it actually because you can go like a. It's really cheap, even when you do pay, but you can go a bunch of times. But it's become this a really amazing community of, of just creatives who all sort of remind each other that being a creative is valid, no matter kind of how, how whatever the world might might feel like it sometimes you're saying about kind of number listening numbers on the podcast and one of the things i've had to learn as i as i grow and hopefully develop as a human being is that stuff is of interest but it's not the interest for me it's it's what kind Mm. of stain i can leave when i leave this mortal coil (laughs) yeah what what opportunities have i taken to actually create things that didn't previously exist and Mm. yeah I, i think so I'm really interested in the sound installations, actually. So there's there's not a very linear thread to this conversation, but yeah, I think you probably knew what you were getting yourself in for. <laughs> so the sound installations that that came about through well through flyering, through meeting this person in South End. But at what point did you kind of go? Do you know what I I can do this? This is something I want to give a go. Well, it started off by yeah, but I didn't time and date or anything. Sorry. No, Stuart. Well... I do have a bit of like an internal timeline, but um, yeah, when I met them in 2005, then I kind of got introduced to other people who worked in other ways. And when you like put two creative people together from two different disciplines and you, you find a new thing, you know, that's new to both of you and it goes off in a direction which you hadn't anticipated. So I did um, quite a bit of work with a deaf person and oh, actually, really? he was my partner for quite a long time. And so we did the installations where um, you could hear the sound, but you could also feel the sound, which is how she experienced sound. And we 
and we did a lot of that and we put them in public um public spaces so we did a commission for Essex County Council in 2009 um and basically our project was to collect the sounds from Colchester Basildon and Harlow and put them in this big green cube and then the cube would sit in public spaces and play back the sounds from those towns in those towns and as part of it we also developed a a relationship with the Essex record office because they've got a huge sound archive there and we agreed to deal with them that all of our new recordings would donate to the sound archive and they agreed to lend us some of the historical recordings so um we put this cube in um it took like eight or nine months to record everything and develop you know the what the thing would look like and how it what technology it would use and like how it would be placed and how it would be tamper proof from you know little herberts or whatever in the in the harlow library and um basildon council offices and um but actually it it actually went down quite well. I mean, a lot of people were like, "What is this, that thing over there?" Do you know, like this thing, you know, like in their place, you know, where they go every week. So it's just not usually there, and suddenly it's there, making some weird noises. But actually, some people really, really engaged with it. Like the security guard at Basildon Council offices, when we put it outside his little door where he, you know, where he works, is like who are these you know like but after a week of it being there he was bringing people over to it and go look at this <laughs> wow <laughs> it's like put your hands on there and he took ownership of it and he really loved it and he hated it when he took it away you know like it just took a little bit of time you know for him to kind of get his head around it you know and um i'm i'm fascinated by that because i think any any art you can create that brings we talked earlier about being anti-clique and any art that you can create that, that brings people in who, who wouldn't necessarily have discovered something like that i find incredibly exciting the spill festival in ipswich is a, a huge example of that there's some massive inflatable animals in the town center at the moment <laughs> and a friend of mine um do you know helen oldfield no. She's like a PR person that's been around the around the art world for for years, but she she interviewed the guy who built them, and she was doing her usual kind of art PR questions of you know what's what's the, what does it mean, and what what change are you hoping to exact on the world? And his answer was, I like making really big animals that make people smile. <laughs> like <laughs> brilliant, <laughs> absolutely excellent. Yeah, isn't it? You know. Yeah, I, I, I um, I'm really interested in the cube thing. I I. I I didn't know you'd done that, and I was commissioned by Spill just before COVID to do do something, and I was going to create a big cube, and my whole thing was I was asked to do a performance of something I recorded ages ago, and I wanted it to be as sensorially accessible as possible. So I spent some time speaking to a, a blind musician who's been blind since birth to I'm fully, you know, I'm hearing and 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 I can see. So I, I was aware that I, I didn't have any reference point. I don't know anyone who's blind. So I was trying to trying to develop it with him, and he was super helpful, really useful. I have a bit of experience of deaf culture. I, I'm I was fluent in sign language. I'm probably pretty rusty now, but it, I had a job for a couple of years supporting deaf people, and 
I'm really fascinated by that idea of not just making things inclusive for people who aren't already part of a scene or aren't already aware of the art, but for people who might look at something and assume that it's not for them in some way. I'm not just talking about sense, sense in a sensory way, but any other way. And I think making things very friendly is such a good way of doing that. And I think the noise scene is actually, once people get over the initial shock sometimes, it is actually something that, that brings that in. Well, yeah, like it is friendly. And like, you know, when um, I played my first ever gig in a death metal band in South End, like my mum came, you know, <laughs> being supportive. And wow. she was like, it's like death metal and everyone's got long hair and like blood and stuff all over their t shirts. <laughs> and then they're diving off the stage and punching each other in the mosh pit or whatever. And then, but she's like, everyone's so friendly. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but like why wouldn't they be you know they're sharing all that you know they they understand each other and they welcome other people into it and you know um my mum didn't see me on stage until i i started playing when i was i guess 15 she didn't see me till i was on stage i was in my mid-30s i played in christchurch park and we used to dress up in leotards and just stupid stuff and afterwards my mum the only thing she said well the first thing she said is which one were you <laughs> like, there's only three people on stage mum <laughs> to be fair we were wearing mexican wrestling masks but <laughs> yeah my, always that 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 whole thing of people being surprised that metalers are nice is mm. or punks or, or any group mm. it's kind of it's kind of sad but also kind of good that people can have their preconceptions changed i guess the challenge sometimes as a creative is creating the opportunity for people to be surprised by that. Yeah. And actually there, you know, there is a, a little bit of kind of, um, uh, I can't think of the word, but you know, like when you can kind of surprise people or, you know, they're sort of, they're like, you change their mind about it because they thought it was one thing, but then they've realized actually it's not like that at all. And it's actually something else, you know, like it's nice to sort of, introduce people to that and um you know have them be a part of your family you know i think that that's a lovely note to to conclude on actually Stuart. i wanted to speak to you about all your travel but we'll have to do that another time okay well, back. Back. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me it's been an absolute joy is there anything anything you'd like to leave us with i'll put links to your to your stuff in the show notes any any final thoughts um I'm getting a bit radio for here with that. uh get involved in your local scene and if you want to just like get out there and do it just do it don't you know don't care what anyone thinks perfect thank you right i'm gonna say goodbye do you want to say goodbye see ya